Hello and welcome to Consumerosity, brought to you by Layby, the show where we explore the challenges for the 20s crowd that you'll find oh so familiar. When it comes to finance, shopping, credit, and the psychology driving our experiences as consumers. I'm Alex. And I'm Jen. And so how this podcast works is each week we'll be choosing a different topic to dive into, bringing in interesting guests to shed even more light on the weird and wonderful goings on in the world of money. Yep. Actual useful financial hacks, all served up with a side of curious psychology and not a meerkat or voucher code in sight. <laughs> and before we introduce this week's topic, we've got a little segment we like to do every time called Something of Note. Basically, we try to outweird each other every episode with strange money-related trivia. Oh. Jen, this week's Something of Note. <laughs> I'm excited. Did you know that the term to spend a penny, meaning to go to the toilet in England, originated from people having to pay one penny for the use of a public bathroom oh that makes well that, to be honest that makes perfect sense um don't know i don't know if i know if i've ever said that phrase as I've, of late i've never even heard of it until now really i no. do i do find there are people i think maybe a generation above me who goes oh i'm just gonna go spend a penny and it's a, it's sort of quite a sweet sort of way of saying i need to go they to the loo they still have that in regent's park where you have to pay to use the bathroom Oh, they have it everywhere. I think. Well, in the Is public it? loo. Yeah, a public one. Oh yeah, they have. They have. Um, they have it in train stations still, and lots of places like around London. Certainly, I've been around to the bathrooms enough. You need to go apparently. do a bathroom. <laughs> I'll take you on a bathroom tour. Well, honestly, I'm not missing anything out. I don't have to pay to use it anyway. <laughs> uh, okay, so this week we're talking about pensions. Pensions. How do you feel when I say the word pension, Alex? I don't like the idea of a pension. No. No. What does it's it make scary. you think of? It's, it's unfamiliar. Well, it, it feels a bit backwards. It feels outdated. Yeah, it kind of. Even the word it doesn't really roll off the tongue nicely. Yeah, it kind of has like uh, it kind of has a sort of feeling of oldness and old fashionedness. Yeah, I think a, as well. There's a very strong stigma about the pension. Yeah, but when it comes to pensions, look, we have to remember that we're here for a long time, not a good time, or should it be the other way around? <laughs> Because you know what, we need to we need to think about how we're going to fund those slippers, walking sticks, and geriatric jet packs. You know, they're not going to pay for themselves, are they? No, <laughs> it, it is. I think I think that could be a millennial thing that it's hard to see past. I think the, the so. week in front or the next the next holiday away, and we're not really thinking necessarily about the future. No, we're not. We're not thinking well, the as future much about that the future. far away. Well, although I think to be fair, like it's something that as each year goes by, you know, certainly for me, like Alex, you're Gen Z, are yeah. we correct? So Alex yeah. is 22, I'm 30. And it's certainly something that has popped into my mind a bit more as of late. So just to make it clear, a pension is the long-term savings you make to support yourself later in life, mm -hmm. in a nutshell. And four in 10 millennials have no pension provision at all. Crazy. That is crazy. 44% of 18 to 34-year-olds say they have no pension provision whatsoever. So that's the actual statistic. Wow. I, does that's it surprise high. you? Yeah, it does surprise me. It, it is a lot higher than I thought it would be. Um, but it would be interesting to, to understand why that is the case. Do you have any savings at all? Like, what's your experience of, of long-term savings? Yeah, we do. So I'm from New Zealand, and what we have there is KiwiSaver. So the way that that works is that I, I believe it's auto-enrolment, you can opt out, but you can select the amount that you're going to contribute okay. uh, from your pay into this account. So it goes up in, in tiers of 3%, 4%, 6%, 8%, or 10%. So it okay. can go quite high. And your employer, this is, this is why it's so beneficial, that it is capped at 3% of your pay, but that's their compulsory input. Okay, so they have to match at least 3 At least 3%. They can do higher voluntarily, yeah. um, but that would be on a case-by-case -case basis. But besides that, I mean, that's pretty much 
my whole experience, experience with with savings. Yeah. yeah, I know that like companies might incentivize. Um, they may incentivize you by saying, you know, if you want to put this percentage in, we'll match that as well. I think that can happen in the UK as well. It must happen elsewhere. Yeah, it must do. And I think that's that's something like that would appeal to me because it's kind of almost there's by their they're saying we value you and your future enough to be able to do that and it also signposts that it's important because i feel like maybe maybe it's the introduction of auto enrollment here in the uk as well the fact that we have to you know you can opt out but yeah. generally i think it's quite hard to opt out but because that's been brought onto our kind of awareness i feel like it's less kind of acceptable to be uh like you know laissez-faire about mm-hmm. your pension i think people have are a bit more even gen z and millennials i think people know that it's important you know even i don't mean that they have have a pension but i think people know it's something and that's really good and it's really it's fantastic that i've done that order enrollment because it's almost stigmatizing not contributing to your, your pension yeah and now, now it is setting people up so they kind of have to, in a way. It, they're making it difficult not to save for your future. Yeah, exactly. It's important. So it's important. I think the only thing is, is that people still don't. There's like a lot of ins and outs of pensions that people don't know. Like, I've I, there's a quote here which says, "We need to find better ways to educate folk on the impact of taking or not taking actions. It's about holistic wealth and benefit planning, education and training, so savers mm. have information that is easy to understand. Like, this this is where we need a pension influencer." Absolutely. <laughs> Never mind. Do you have anyone in mind? I wonder. Well, pension, gen, pen. You know, there's a bit of a rhyme there. The gen pen show. <laughs> yeah, I think so. The gen pen show. Just, there you go. You're teeing yourself up to be the influencer, Jen. I know you can do it. I think that might have to be a thing. Because influencers are, you know, so impactful in making other things popular. Absolutely. But who do we turn to to sort of, that is accessible and relatable. Digestible information. <laughs> that and, and it's on the channels and the mediums that we're actually using. Yeah. No, 100%. And in terms of education, right, the the sort of stereotype is that our generations are not so great at saving for the future. Yeah. That, you know, what kind of things do people say we'd rather be spending on, like, you know... Everyone av- knows it. Say yeah. it. Avocado, avocado on toast. toast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But avocado. it is because... But honestly, it's, it's probably true. I mean, we know here that the largest uh, proportion of a millennial spend is rent. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one, though, is followed by nights out. Wow. And that's more than their grocery bill or utilities. Yeah. Well, if we think about the cost, what, you know, cost of alcohol, what you spend on a drink and how that builds up, that that I can understand. Coffee is another one, I think, yeah, yeah. that people say we spend a lot of money on, which, again, I can see. And I think there is more of an awareness of that, especially with people trying to cut back on using cups. Yes, definitely. And, which comes with the coffee. Um, but there are some interesting... Um, sort of things that I've started to learn about. Um, we, we covered in a previous episode uh, compound interest, which mm-hmm. is uh, which is the idea, or not the idea, it's fact, that if you put in a little bit into your savings earlier on in your life, um, rather than putting like a big lump sum later on in life, it's a lot better because the interest grows on itself. Uh-huh. So something like that is, you know, quite an interesting fact. And it's an in, it, knowing that incentivizes you to to want to do that because you can't buy back time. No, you can't. You know? Um, and I think that's kind of where our biggest issue lies as millennials is that we're living in this world of instant gratification Yeah. and we're not seeing any results quickly. But yeah. that's that's the whole point. The whole point is to put this money aside for later in life. Yeah. I think there's other things that have influenced it though. Like, So my my personal, being, being a little bit older, I am starting to think a little bit more seriously yeah. about finances and I 
do, for example, pensions. I've got all my pensions in different pots from the different jobs I've had. Where I used to be a state te- school teacher, and I was a private school teacher, and then I became freelance, and I've got different pots basically all over the shop. So they're there. I don't really know collectively how much is in them all. Um, I can access some more easily than others because yeah. some make it really tricky. Sometimes you have to phone a man or phone a but woman. Well, why? Why is that the case? <sighs> because. I just feel like it's a bit clunky, all yeah. the different setups. Some of them are systems. down. Yeah, old systems. But there, there is a bit of a lack of trust, I think, because of the financial crisis that happened before and you know, people lost out, have lost out money on, and, and value on things that they bought, property. And, you and know. now they're scared to actually put that money away in case it happens again. Yeah. And, and who wouldn't be, though? No, exactly. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, in terms of that way of thinking of the, of the now and the later, it's like, you know, if I pay in this money, will it be able to be delivered you know or am I better off investing in something like you know a friend a friend of mine once uh, an older friend of mine once talked about how she was going to invest in wine in wine yeah like fine wines I don't know how you know what we laugh and stuff but I wonder how is that actually genius yeah you know, because fine wines do, don't they increase in age? In value, in yep, value yep, as they yep. get Apparently older. Apparently so. It all tastes the same to me, but yeah, I'll get there. Just like me, I increase and get better as I get older, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was a terrible segue. That was like a dad joke. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's it, there is a lot to debunk here, I think. And I think also we need to, you know, stop with the stereotypes and just try and get to grips with it. I think people are interested. Yep. Um, there is a handy acronym which I think we should sort of finish up on here before we get our guests. I love in. this. Learn this one today, and I think it's fantastic. Yeah. So, do you want to deliver what the acronym is? Is what it's, is it? It's called SUM. SUM. All right. So the S. Start as quickly as you can. Okay. U. Up your contributions when you get a pay rise. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And yeah. M. Max out on what your employer will give you by putting more in. Yeah. So they're all basically the quick, quick ways of. And e- quick and easy ways of getting started. Absolutely. And a- again, still things that I don't think people are necessarily doing. But if that's if that's the quick tip, then maybe we should be listening to a bit more. So, right, I think we've talked enough about pensions between us. I think we need to get someone in who knows a bit more about it. Expert time. Think? Yeah, expert yeah, time. Let's do it. So for anyone who caught up on our episode on savings and compound interest, we're back with Felix Milton. For those of you catching up on Consumerosity, Felix is a chartered financial planner at Philip J. Milton & Company PLC based in Devon. And as a bit of of Felix's background, at the age of 24, not only does he fit the millennial demographic, so he's one of us, but he's also one of the youngest in the UK to hold the prestigious chartered title and provides independent financial advice on a range of subjects such as investment planning, taxation and pensions. He's been recognised as one of the top 35 under 35s in his industry twice and has made appearances on BBC Radio 4's Moneybox. Felix, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Hello, yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Fantastic. Great. So we're just going to dive into some questions here, Felix. So pensions, right? So who actually looks after our pensions and how does this differ between public and the private sector? So in the private sector, we'll start there as that's where the majority of people work. Mm -hmm. So pensions are typically held by a big life insurance company, as it's known, who will simply administer all the contributions and deal with HMRC to give you tax relief and so on. And you save a pot of money up with them. And at retirement, you can use that pot of money to live on. So that's typically a private sector pension in the most simple form. Mm -hmm. Uh, The public sector pension is a bit different as that effectively is bankrupt 
rolled by the government. So there isn't a pot of money that's built up. There is a promise that you will get an income at a certain date in the future based on your salary whilst you are working and what is called the accrual rate, which sounds very official, but all that means is the rate at which your pension builds up. Uh, And then you get an income for life in retirement that's funded by the government. Okay, so quite different then. Yeah, it does vary quite a bit. In the way it works. But I do know, having having been a teach, a state school teacher back in the day, a lot of people did used to, to look at me and go, oh, good pension. So I think, oh, really? I think the, it is, it's known that that's, that's, uh, that's quite, G- gem- quite a benefit. Generally, they're more generous. Yes. Mm. Ah, that's very interesting. And, and I think, I mean, when people talk about pensions, especially in the younger demographic, everyone kind of screws up their nose a little bit, turns their head away and doesn't really want to talk about it. So I think what would be really interesting in knowing, Felix, is what are the benefits of starting to save for a pension when you are young? So the, the main benefit of saving for a pension when you're young is that you will need to save less now than if you start when you are 30 or when you start when you are 40. I mean, there's been some academic research that the first 10 years of saving into a pension can be more important for the sum you end up with at retirement than the, the 20 after that. Wow. So it, it make, can make a very big difference. And the whole, the whole reason for that is because you get compounding. So compounding is effectively your return on your return. So if you get lots of return in the early years, you've got more to grow for the next 20 after that. So next 20, 30, however. So that's why it's important to start saving younger and you can save less to, to get to that sum. Of course. So moral of the story, same as when we talk to you about savings, start young. Exactly. Yeah, makes sense. And what are the tax benefits of a pension? So pensions are great because you get tax relief at your highest marginal rate. So if you are a basic rate taxpayer, that's 20%. If you're a higher rate taxpayer or additional rate, 40 or 45% on what you put in. So generally, if we go back to basics here, if you're saving, say, £1,000 into a pension, the government will give you £250 on top of that to go into your pension wrapper. So that's brilliant. Wow. So again, it can be very worthwhile. And if you're a higher rate taxpayer, you only have to pay in £750 and you get £1,250 going into your pension. So it definitely makes sense uh, saving saving as young as you can. Great. And so, the, and is that paid at the end of the, you know, when is that paid? At the end of the tax year? Or when do you see that coming into your account? So it's usually credited fairly instantly okay. into your account. So into oh, your amazing. pension account, that is. So if you're a basic, so what happens with pensions? If you're a basic rate taxpayer, you put in £1,000, £1,250 goes into your pension and the life insurance company deals with the £250 from the government. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, you put in the £1,000, £250 goes into your pension and you reclaim a further £250 through your tax return. Right, through your tax return. So in terms of keeping track of, 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 these, of your pension, it's a case of looking at your, your statement from, your, from the private pension as well as your HMRC statement as well. Exactly, yeah. Right, okay, Incredible. so two places to look for for that as well. But that's really great to know. Yeah, that is really interesting. Mm. And, and Felix, you know, after the financial crisis, the trust in financial institutions is often much, much, much lower. So how safe is the money we're investing now in pensions? So the financial crisis, of course, has had an impact on how everyone views financial institutions, but generally they are very safe. So pension companies just administer the accounts. They don't hold the assets themselves. They set up what's called a nominee account, and that's designed to protect you and I from the company's assets. So say there's a a big company goes bust and into administration, all the accounts that are separate and that hold the money that you and I have 
can't be touched by the creditors of that company or the liquidators. So that means that your money should typically then be able to be picked up by another company and carry on as is. So right. they are very safe um, and it is unlikely that you'd lose everything in, in that scenario. Oh, well, so if that ever did happen and and it's probably not very likely, would you even notice that change? Would your Would your interest rates change at all or does it really just depend on... So if your so your pension will be invested in funds. Uh, those funds may be offered by other companies. So they'd still go up and down on a day to day basis. Yeah. Um, but your money, your money, and if there's a financial crash, your money could go down as well as up, as as the old adage goes. So you need to be be in mind that you'll you could lose money within your pension. However, over the longer term, it should recover and should grow to a meaningful sum at retirement. So it's important to sort of hold face uh, over that period and, and not do anything <laughs> irrational. And be brave. Mm. Exactly. And, ju- and just to clarify, Felix, so there's been, there, I mean, there's been times in my life where I've definitely thought, oh, I could really use this money to sort of fund my Edinburgh show or fund this sort of adventure On in my, my life. my weekend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just to clarify, you know, can you ever take money out of a pension if you change your mind? No. So generally you can't. Um, so it's important to remember that if you are saving into a pension, it is there for the longer term and you can only access it when you get to your retirement age. So by the time that our demographic get there, it will be at least age 57, um, but it will probably be later than that. Yeah. And is it is it likely that the ages can shift around or is are they fixed when you play into a private pension or do the government have impact or say into those ages? Their government has a very big impact into those <laughs> those ages. So the government can change. Uh, and of course, if you're saving now and you've got 40 years, if you think about what governments have been and gone in the past 40 years and what's likely to come and go in the future, um, it's highly likely that that's going to change. Yeah, so don't, don't count on reaching a certain birthday and potentially being able to get that <laughs> pension money out. It, it could change. Exactly. Now, Felix, we've, we hear about a lot of different pension funds and ICEs and lifetime ICEs. So should I be considering a lifetime ISA instead of or as well as a pension? So lifetime ISAs are complementary to a pension, I'd okay. say. So the key takeaway that we sort of touched upon in the last podcast, actually, is that your employer cannot pay into a lifetime ISA. Yes. So most people are employed, and if they pay into their pension, their employer is going to pay into it too. So that immediately makes it very attractive, and if not more attractive than a lifetime ISA, because if you're not paying into your workplace pension, your employer, you're, you're losing out on that free money from your employer, which could be a pay rise effectively through through the back door. So lots of employers will do contribution matching as well. So if you pay in 5%, they'll pay in 5%. So it's always important to try and look at that and consider that over a lifetime ISA. Um, but again, if you're looking to buy a house in the short term and can do both, opening a lifetime ISA as well makes, makes sense because you get that bonus and can use it towards your first property. Yeah, okay. So it does really depend on your you know, situation and your financial situation, but Mm. It seems like it, it is quite subjective and it's not necessarily you don't really take one over the other. Over the other, yeah. But complimentary along Yeah, exactly. I guess it does just exactly. falls back. They're, they're complimentary products. Yeah. 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 So, for example, if, if someone is a freelancer and um, they, you know, the lifetime ISA could potentially be a good option, but is, are there, is, is there, you know, a good competitor as in like, are there good, is it up to the freelancer to, to search around and find a good private pension product themselves as well and do that that is something freelancers can do right so yeah freelancers can can look around and open a private pension just because their employer isn't paying into it doesn't mean that they can't contribute to one so opening in a a private pension as a freelancer usually makes sense but again if you're not saving more than that four thousand pounds a year 
into a, a pension or lifetime ISA, why would you consider a pension over a lifetime ISA is the question, really. Mm. Lifetime ISAs are great because you can access them early, potentially, to buy your first home. But then again, if you've done that, remember, you've got no pension provision regardless. So having both is usually good because a pension, you know you can't access, so you're not tempted to access it for whatever reason, whereas a lifetime ISA you can access if you really did need it. Right, got it. Something that um, someone once mentioned was that, you know, you can invest in... Um, you can invest in small companies and buy bonds and you can invest, someone once mentioned about investing in wine. Like, are there other, you know, there are lots of other avenues that people can look in into as products as opposed to just company pension, you know, just these kind of product pensions that you see? So a pension is simply known as a wrapper. So okay. a pension is simply there to hold your money and then you direct where that money is invested. Right. So the, the pension deals with the government and the tax relief and it's just the, it holds it. So if you consider it as say, it is the jar that holds the sweets. That's nice. The jar stays the same and you choose where the sweets <laughs> go within that jar and how they're invested, but it's just a jar. It doesn't do anything or interesting. Um, coming back to your point regarding other investments, uh, generally, no, I wouldn't say invest in wine or anything <laughs> like that. That may sound exciting. Uh, cryptocurrencies, for example, anything that sounds exciting and promises very big returns I'd never recommend for your pension you need to invest in companies that have been around for a while have a good track record even an index fund that simply copies the stock market because regardless of what happens they probably will still be there or that index will still exist in 40 years whereas who knows like there could be a, a flood in the wine cellar and all the wines destroyed and there was no insurance for True. example <laughs> so investing in non-mainstream investments is is not recommended unless you are an expert in that field um, so, so stay well away from them is what I say. Got it. Unless you know, so that's so that's considered like a fun, a fun kind of play around bit that you might do if you had some fun money to play with investing, but really not for your big pot. Not for your not for your main pot or generally at no, all. It's definitely there's, the there's Lots of scams in this area um, <laughs> because they're not regulated. So you need to look at regulated investments. There we go. So note note to self: investing in wine might be a risk. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe later in life when you have a bit of fun money. Later, yeah, exactly. And and if you've got um, money in different pension pots, say for example, you know, you people change employers over the years, and you know, you might um, you might be freelance for a bit and go yeah. back to an employer, and you might have a few two or three pots, you know, scattered around. Um, can you then amalgamate them into one at some stage, or how how would you go about sort of finding where all that money's gone and amalgamating it when you get to an age where you suddenly think, oh my goodness, I need to sort of look what I've actually accumulated here. So you can, your provider should write to you uh, at least annually with a statement telling you what you've got invested and how much your pension's worth. They'll also have to tell you what they think it could be worth at retirement, um, which could be a, a lot less than you're thinking. So again, coming back to your point on amalgamation, yes, you can do this. There are lots of, many of the providers, if not all of them, will offer some form of amalgamation. So you can transfer in all your other pensions into one if you want to keep it with that company, or you can look at a new pension and ask them to transfer in all your others. So it's quite a straightforward process. Mm process. You may have to sign some forms, um, but then they can put all the pots together. What's important to remember here is that you can't transfer out of the majority of public sector schemes. Mm. So they have to stay where they are and as is because oh, they are not a pot of money. They are a promise of an income, whereas Got the it. others are a pot of money and that can be moved. Got it. Okay. So really it's up to you as well. You know, in, in big cities where people live and rent often as well, you move around so many different addresses. And sometimes I think it can be hard to track, you know, which address that that letter's going to from that time in your yeah, life when you worked yeah. at that place. So I guess it's, you know, time to sort of, for some people, you've got to really note down like, you know, what those pension pots were and make sure they've got your address and make sure that you're getting that information as well. 
Someone else somewhere in the city could be getting a letter about your pension fund, basically. <laughs> <laughs> there, there could be. There's also a very helpful government thing that they've oh. introduced uh, called the Pension Tracing Service. <gasps> so Ooh. if you do lose your pension, that, that is there to help you. The there Pension you Tracing Service. I, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who will need this tra- Absolutely. tracing service. Has this, made, has this been publicly... I mean, I'm sure it has been, but you you haven't heard of this before, have you, Jen? I've not heard of this. This is the first time, so that's incredibly helpful because actually, I do pretend, you know, fall into a category of having different pots everywhere, and I know there are lots of other people who do. So, it's definitely something I'm I'm hoping to might you know look into. Yeah, and and do you just access this online, Felix? You do, yes, and and it will tell you the contact details based on your employer and so on. And and again, if you can remember who you've worked for, it does help. You can go back to the employer and say who was my pension with or again most of the providers will be able to email you correspondence so that's an easy way if you are moving yeah. around a lot yeah. turn on that email correspondence and it will follow you yeah got it I just had one more question for you and it's more it's around when it makes sense to or to, to be actively contributing into a pension so if I, say for instance I was struggling to pay or someone was struggling to pay their rent does it make sense to still be uh, ensuring that you are contributing into the into your pension fund at work uh, it does because, as I said earlier, if you're paying in, your employer's paying in too. That said, uh, if you really, really need that money and you're something as significant as your housing is at loss, you obviously need to secure that as opposed to your, your immediate needs, as opposed to your later life needs. Uh, you can always build up your pension. You may have to save more at that time, but you can look at that in the future. So if it's an immediate need that's going to impact your standard of living significantly, uh, definitely favour that over your pension. Okay, that's a good takeaway from that then. Very good takeaway. Uh, yeah, I think that's everything. Well, you know, thank you so much, Felix. Once again, you said some amazing light on a situation and topic that uh, often I think millennials and Gen Z find scary. Yeah, and I think they struggle with to get the head around it because there's, there is a lot of information out there, but it's very confusing. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Felix. Amazing, Felix. Thanks for joining thank us. You. Thank you for having me. Well, what a lot of light shed on pensions there, Alex. It's a really, I always found pensions to be a really kind of overwhelming subject. You know, it's not really something, or it's definitely something we're never really taught about. Mm. And it's just kind of sprung upon us. And it's like, here you go. Yeah. Now deal with it. And how do you get like that sort of understanding of the future at such a young age? It's, it is kind of a bit abstract, isn't it, when you're in yeah. school thinking about this? You know, you only hear older people telling you it's a good idea. And that's not always a good kind of receiver for information, is it? No, it's not. And, and we're being told that well, in the next 40 years, you now have access to this money. It's like 40 years. Yeah. I don't even have enough to pay for my, my lunch next week, you know, yeah. I'm, because I'm just working whatever job it is in these, at these early ages. You're not really thinking that's, that it's so far in the future. Yeah. It's hard to get your, your mind around it. It is. But there are there's little incentives that I feel like we got out of, uh, you know, talking to Felix and talking about pensions, like interest, for example, yes. right? Yeah. So we were talking about this sort of, this starting early thing, Alex, right? Yeah, we were. And I think one of the most interesting things that Felix shed light on was that the first 10 years are really the most important yeah. when it comes to building your pension, uh, you know, with compounding interest. Mm. So it's, and, and he kind of touched that on savings as well, but it's all about just starting as early as possible. Yeah. It's not real. it's regardless of the amount, but as much as you can afford and just starting, you know, starting yesterday pretty much. Yeah. Compound interest is fascinating though, isn't it? The idea that actually you make interest and then each year you make more interest on that larger amount. The say you know, it it just multiplying your money. And I I, having learnt that now, I feel so stupid not having known it. Yeah. 
because it seems I know what like you mean. but we're never taught no. about these kind of things yeah and also i think even if i'd known potentially that my urgency levels might not have been so um kind of apparent at that age yeah you know um, but yeah, compounding interest. I think it's, it needs to be googled, and there's there's so many like useful videos on it on YouTube that you can. No, do everyone really should get their head around it because it is a very powerful tool. Yeah, and it's everywhere. Yeah, you know your pension, your savings accounts. They, they all offer it, mm-hmm. but it is good to know what you're getting into. Yes, and at what rate, and to, so you can actually then visualize the benefits. Yeah, one hundred percent. I was blown away by the um, amalgamation thing and the pension tracing service. Yes, that was really interesting. I feel like he's unveiled like this sort of MI5 t- level kind of You should team. almost be told that, though, when you change industry. It's weird that they leave it kind of yeah. up to your own devices to figure this out. Well, doesn't that send a message in itself? The fact yeah. that everyone's just like, you're going to get your pension letter. But I guess it's like we look after our own. We've got this for our own team here. This is what our team does. And if you move to another team, it's not anyone else's job, I guess, to sort of that's tell true. you. Yeah, that's true. But by the same token, you know, there needs to be, this is, I think this is becoming a common culture. I feel like there must be other people out there like me. There would be so many people who move within industries, yeah. and especially in the younger, at the younger days, because you're just not really that sure what you want to do just yet. Yeah. So you do spend a bit of time jumping around, and then like yourself's a great example, went into freelancing. Yeah. And freelancing doesn't mean that you're always going to have that self-employed financial aspect because you you will sign up to jobs that for a little while will give will do PAYE with yeah. you. So they'll take all your contributions out and they'll put enroll you into their company pension. So you are going to have little pots here, there, and everywhere. So I'm going to do the pension tracing service Good. and I'm going to amalgamate my my pots into one, um, knowing that. Obviously, I was a teacher, obviously, way back in the day, so I've got yep. that. That can't be touched, fair enough, that state pension. But um, all the little other bits I'm going to amalgamate, and I'm going to have like a tidier sort of uh, pot, I guess, and a better knowledge of what's there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the biggest thing, right, just being able to have that visibility on where where things are, what's happening with it, because mm-hmm. it, it's your money. Yeah. It is your money at the end of the day. So you absolutely want to know where it's going, where it's being invested, what are my rates, how much is into it. Yeah, 100%. And something else as well about, you know, just checking those regulations on products is really important to check that it's regulated by the FCA and, you know. Yes, because yes, um, you don't want to get caught out on anything. No, well, it's like Felix was saying about those crazy, like the, the Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies. Ge- genuinely, it has been discussed in circles where I've sat around tables and people have talked about investments in wine and all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know whether that was a good or bad idea. Sometimes you think, oh, I'm missing out on something here, but... Knowledge is power. Yeah. And you don't want to just invest into, especially with your money, and just uh, anything, right? You need to know what you're getting into. Yeah. It's interesting. Felix managed to make pensions palatable. Oh, I love that. Pensions palatable. There you go. Lovely. Jen, to end the episode, you know we like to play the million-dollar question. Yeah. So it's our version of Truth or Lie. Ready for this week's? I'm ready. Is it true or false that if you tear a 20-pound note in half, both halves can legally be used as a tenor. <laughs> false. It is false. Oh, my god! Everyone knows that it's false, unfortunately. <laughs> Although Bank of England will replace any damaged notes at face value. So in a way, it's... Oh, so they it is, will? Yeah. So it is true. That's, that's good really. to know because I have genuinely... You know what? It's not that I've presented a torn £20 note. I've received one from uh, from somebody giving my, my change back. I've received something that looks so... You know, they get the, like, dog-eared it notes. It doesn't even really look like a note anymore. And, and I look at the person so to be like, are you... Sh- look, you, I, don't... I'm not the mug who's going to take this home, but at least you know that... You can, you can you just know that I've been trying to pawn it off to the <laughs> yeah. person who's walked through the door. I've been no, trying no, no, no. the last few people. So I always feel a bit annoyed when I get that, but actually knowing that it can be replaced, I guess, at least... At least warrants... Uh, well, there's your tip. 
not feeling too Any bad. Any ripped notes, it. take them into the Bank of England. They'll replace them for you. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for listening to Consumerosity. Hit subscribe in your favourite podcast app and join us for future episodes. See you later. See ya. 